Good morning. Children in the first century were the lowest of the low, the least of these. Children, there was no child advocacy groups. There was no child labor laws. Children were the lowest of the lowest of the low. Girl children were, were the lowest of the low, low, low. They thought so lowly of girls. If you had multiple girls frequently, they would name the uh, girl the same name. They'd all give them the name Mary. You may have one, two, three Marys. Mary the older, Mary the elder, or the younger. They, uh, you know, they were sought, thought so little of. And yet these parents are bringing their children to Jesus for him to bless them, and he's blessing them, and the disciples see what's going on, and, and the Bible says that they rebuked the parents, the disciples did. They didn't want those snot-nosed kids coming around Jesus, they rebuked them. And Jesus saw what was going on, and he said in, in verse 14, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, and get this, for the kingdom of God belongs to these childlike faith not childish faith i've dealt with enough of that through the years not childish faith childlike faith you want to know what the kingdom of god is like it's like childlike faith and then mark puts right on the heels of that story of the least of the least of these jesus calling and saying this is what the kingdom of god is all about right after that the next encounter that jesus has is someone that everyone would have considered having the the most of the most of the most it was the story of the rich young ruler right he's rich He's keeping all the commandments. He's doing everything right. He is clearly in. And Jesus says to him, listen, pal, if you want to follow me, get rid of everything you got and come and follow me. And you know the story? He, he shakes his head, walks away sad. The people who are the least of the least of the least, they're in. The people who, who you think are in are out. And then Jesus tells a story the third time. It's the third time in Mark 10. He tells how what's going to happen. He, they're going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be, be arrested and, and killed and buried. And on the third day, raised again from the dead. And shoo, goes right over the disciples' head. And then the brothers Zebedee, James and John, sons of thunder, Jesus called them. The sons of thunder have this bold and audacious request of Jesus. Jesus when we get to heaven, we want to have the best seats in the house. John on the right, James on the left, or vice versa. It doesn't matter to us. Let us have the best, best, best seats, Jesus. How about that? And the Bible says when the disciples, the other disciples, the other ten disciples heard that, they were indignant. Oh, they were so mad. They were spitting nails. They couldn't believe it. Peter, you know, Peter, hey, I am Peter on this rock. Jesus said, I'm going to build, build my church. If anybody has the best seat, it's got to be me. Andrew, what are you guys talking about? I was the first one to follow Jesus before any of you other guys. If there's going to be a best seat in heaven, it's got to be me. Judas probably thought, listen, I'm the treasure of this group. I'm the money bags. Granted, I'm going to betray him in a few hours. I'm the money bags. It's got to be me if there's going to be a best seat. All the other disciples, what are you guys talking about? It's got to be us. Mark tells us then that in verse 42, Jesus called them together. And said, you know that those who regarded as rulers of Gentiles lorded over you and their high officials exercise authority over them. Think Roman occupiers. When they say jump, you say how high. That's how it works. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you were with us last summer, remember I tried to teach you a rap, you know, almost. The son of man came to serve, not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And to give his life. Remember? Jesus is saying, listen. If you're going to be like me, if you're going to follow after me, if you're going to be a person that values what I value. See, they missed it. The disciples missed it. They missed who was in the kingdom of God. They missed who was out. They missed, they missed what Jesus was talking about in his death and resurrection. And they missed, they missed, they totally missed why he came and what he was about and what he valued. You want to be like me? You're going to be a servant. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. That's what it means to be my follower. It means you're going to serve. Do you remember John 13? That's the story of the Last Supper. In John 13, in, in first century Jerusalem, there, there weren't paved roads. There wasn't brick roads. There were dirt trails. There were paths. And, and paths and alleyways, all dirt. And so there'd be a thick layer of dust on those dirt paths. And if it rained, that thick layer of dust turned into a thick layer of mud, like soupy, soupy mud that you, you couldn't walk through it without getting muddy. I mean, it was just absolutely impossible. No matter how careful you tried to be, you were going to be muddy when you arrived at wherever it was you were going. And so people would have a slave stationed by the door so that when you came in, they would wash your feet. Because, I mean, you were going to be muddy. If they, didn't have, they were poorer, didn't have a slave, then the youngest child, again, children were thought of so lowly, the youngest child, that would have been me and my family, little Robbie, go wash, you know, Joe's feet. The youngest child would wash the feet. If there, wasn't, if there wasn't any children, then the first guest to arrive would wash the feet. Kind of gives you reason to be fashionably late. Carla would have done great in that setting. She would never would have washed a foot in her life. <laughs> but that was the deal. So they're gathering in the upper room. Disciples all come by. They ignore the towel on the wall, the basin of water, the, 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 the pitcher or the bucket of water that was there. They take their seats. It wasn't, with apologies to Leonardo da Vinci, there wasn't a long table with high back chairs that they were sitting all on the same side of. That would be so weird. They were, they were sitting at a, at a low table, almost think of it like a coffee table, a long coffee table that had the food, and so they would be kind of sprawled out, grabbing the food. They're hungry men. They're probably grabbing the food, and they're, they're telling jokes, and they're wanting to be close to Jesus because this is a Passover meal, and Jesus might have something important to say. And so they're all gathering around, and there's 26 stinky, muddy feet all around, and all of this is going on. And at some point, in the meal Jesus gets up and he walks over to that towel hanging on the wall and he grabs it and he wraps it around himself and he picks up the bucket of water in the basin and he goes up to one of the disciples I don't know which one and he goes to that dirty nasty yucky foot and he starts washing it pours the water over starts washing that dirty foot and then he does the next Somewhere along the line, all the fish stories between Peter and Andrew come to a stop. And all the joking ends, and you can hear a pin drop in that upper room. Look what Jesus is doing. Oh, Jesus is doing the, the job that the worst of the worst does. Jesus is doing the, the job that the, that the lowest of the lowest do. What's Jesus doing washing people's feet? Mark tells us in, in verse 3, he said, Jesus knew. 
If you're using your Bible and it was open right now, I would tell you to circle the word new. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And, and after that, he poured water in the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel they wrapped around him. Jesus is washing their feet. Now, we don't, we don't do that these days. We don't wash people's feet. Praise the Lord. But what about, could you... Could you imagine what's going on? And if you check, if you check your Bible, check each, each gospel, you won't read a passage that says, Jesus started going from disciple to disciple to disciple until he got to Judas because he knew that Judas was going to betray him, had already collected his 30 pieces of silver, and Judas was going to betray him. And he got to Judas and he said, no way, slimeball, I'm not washing your feet. Don't mind bother looking because you're not going to see it. Because Jesus washed Judas' feet. Two, we don't wash people's feet. It's not an issue for us. Maybe, maybe, maybe you know, you think, well, okay, if, if it was a loved one, I guess I could wash their feet. It'd be awkward. It'd be awkward for them, awkward for me, but I guess uh, I could do it. But what about that boss that slighted you? that classmate that's gossiped about you, that parent that said mean things to you, that person that you knew, you knew, you knew was gonna betray you. That's who Jesus was washing their feet. Jesus completed it and he looked at the disciples. He said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. Again, the point isn't washing feet. The point is, will you be a servant? The Son of Man came to, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to be like Jesus, that means you're going to serve. You want to be like Jesus, that means you're going to humble yourself. You want to be like Jesus, that means that, it, that, that you're following after his footsteps. So what did he do? He had 24 hours to live. Now, that's always the big thing. If I had 24 hours to live, what would I do? Jesus had 24 hours to live. He knew he had 24 hours to do, live. And what was he doing? He was washing the dirty, grimy feet of the people who were going to betray him in a few hours. That's what the King of Kings and Lord of Lords was doing with his last 24 hours. What are we doing? There's a beautiful picture of servanthood in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Paul is writing a letter to the Philippians and he's, and most people think that he kind of puts in a song that everybody knew in chapter two. He says, your attitude should be the same as Christ. And then he puts in those in the song and, and it says this in verses six and seven. It says, who being the very nature of God did not, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very the very nature of a servant. That word being, in the very beginning of that verse, being the very nature of God, that word being, here's your, your English session. I thought about cutting this out of the sermon today, but, but I think it's too important for us to cut out. That word being is a participle, 
Again, you have to go back to your grammar class. It's a participle, and it's a uh, participle that is, can be de defined by the context in which it is given. And so it can be a causal participle. The word being could mean like the word because, because he's the very nature of God. Or it could be in concession, in spite of the fact that he was the very nature of God. So this is how it works. Because, you, you could translate the word being as because, so I would say, well, because I'm a Michigan Wolverine fan, and because uh, Juwan Howard is, won the coach of the year, and because they have a lot of great basketball players, even though Isaiah never hurt his ankle, because of those things, I think the Michigan Wolverines will do well in the NCAA basketball tournament. That's a causal form of that participle, being, because. It could also be concessive view. So that would be in spite of. So you would say, well, being that I'm a Detroit Lions fan, in spite of the fact that I'm a Detroit Lions fan, and in spite of the fact that they, they've been terrible, terrible, terrible since 1957, in spite of the fact that they've only won one stinking playoff game in my entire life of 57 years, in spite of all that, I think they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> See the difference? Because... In spite of. So, so that word being there in Philippians 2. You could, you, you could read it in the concessive view. In spite of the fact that he is God, he took on the nature of, of a servant. In spite of the fact that he is God Almighty, he did this. Or you could read it this way. Because. Precisely because his nature of God Almighty, he became a servant. Precisely because that's exactly who he is as a servant. Because he's a servant, he took on the nature of a servant. What does this mean for you and me? It means this. Well, let me explain it this way. In Greek mythology, there is a, a, a story where Zeus and Hermes come to earth dressed as slaves. They wanted to see how people were paying homage to the gods. And when they got enough information, when they felt uh, like they, they knew enough, they, they took off their disguise and they said, ta-da, we're really in the, the Olympia splendor. This is us. We're Zeus and Hermes. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't come disguised as God in spite of his being the nature of God. He didn't come he didn't come to, no, he came to reveal who God is. Who is God? He, he's the one that goes to the least of these. Who is God? He's the one that cares about the, the down and out. Who is God? He's the one that cares for the people that no one else cares for. That's who God is. That's who God Almighty is. And, and through all this, it shows us that that's, that's who we are. We want to be like Jesus, right? We want to be like Jesus. What does it mean to be like Jesus? It means you're going to be a servant. Why? Because that's who Jesus is. Are you following me? Are you tracking with me? Now, all of us know our country, um, it's getting, it seems to be getting more and more pagan every single day, right? Pagan, pagan, pagan. And, and you've complained about it. You say, oh my goodness, the world is going down. Pagan, pagan, pagan. And you can make a strong case for that. But I want to tell you, as bad as our culture is right now, in many ways, it's not like first, second, third century Rome. You wanna talk pagan? That was pagan, pagan, pagan. 
I mean, they were burning Christians. They were feeding them to the lions in the Colosseum. Christians had to, it was, uh, Christianity was outlawed. People were having to, to, to study in the catacombs, in silent. They would sing their songs just by mouthing their songs because they didn't want anyone to hear them. And, and, and they were ridiculed and they were, they were scorned. All the rest, right? First, second, third century. Terrible. But guess what? The church grew. See, church growth experts today say, say, well, you know, the reason why there's churches are closing and the reason why there's not as many people in churches and the reason why all of this is going on is because, well, we're living in pagan, 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 post-Christian America, pagan, pagan, pagan. But in the first, second, third century, they were, they were killing Christians, feeding them to the lions. That would hurt your Sunday school numbers. <laughs> and yet the church was growing. Do you remember what happened? Pentecost, right? People in the upper room, 120 people, upper room, Pentecost. Day, day, say that's day zero, day one, 120. Day two, remember Peter preached that great sermon, 3,000 people became Christians. So day two, they grew from 120 to 3,120. And church historians say by the year 100, there was about 20, 25,000 Christians, which really isn't all that great, to be honest. I mean, granted, you know, you get a leader, feed them to a lion, you know, so that kind of, again, that hurts. But so by year 100, in the 60, 70 years, whatever, between Pentecost and the year 100, church grew to about 20, let's say 25,000. Christianity became legal in the year 311. Constantine legalized Christianity. Do you know how many Christians there were when Christianity became legal in 311? Wait, before you answer that, I should tell you that in those hundred years, from 125,000 to 311, there were wars, killed off a lot of people. There were plagues. I mean, you think this year has been bad. The plagues in the second, third century were devastating. Five, in, a, in a population where it wasn't as greatly populated as what the world is today, by far, 5,000 people were dying every day. Plague would come into a town, everyone would leave. People were dying all left and right. Plagues were horrible. It would sweep in, and, and for several years, there would be plague. And of course, they didn't have the technology. They didn't know what to do. Okay, so day one, 120. Day two, 3,120. After 60, 70 years, 25,000. And then in the year 311, after war and war and war and plague of plague and plague, 20 million Christians. 20 million. How, how, how is that possible? They're, 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 they're meeting in the catacombs. They're being fed to the lions. How is that possible? Well, I told you there were plagues, right? What would happen is the plague would sweep into a town and everyone would leave except the sick and the dying, except the sick and the dying and the Christians. The Christians stayed behind. The Christians cared for the sick and the dying. The Christians risked their life to care for these people that everybody else, their families abandoned. And you know what happened? Some of those people died. Some of those Christians who were caring for them died. They got the plague and they died. They knew the risks, but they also knew the rewards. They knew that some of those people would, would, would make it and some of those people would survive and God would intervene and that's exactly what happened. And so some of those people lived. They didn't die and their families came back after the plague had left that area and they'd come back and they were expecting their loved ones to be dead. But they came back and they were alive and they were thriving. They said, what in the world happened? 
And they said, well, you're my family, but you abandoned me. But these Christians, these followers of Jesus, they were here for me, and they tended to me, and they cared for me, and now I'm well, and let me tell you why they did it. It's all about Jesus. And they told people about Jesus, and then they told people about Jesus, and they went from this small little band of people to 20 million that Constantine could not ignore. These Christians, these followers of Jesus, and how did it happen? It happened because they were serving it happened not because they were telling people what they didn't believe. They were telling them what they did do. And they were caring and they were serving and they were loving. There's a, a bishop of Alexandria in the year 250. He said this about the Christians. He said, Christians showed an unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another heedless of danger. He, they took charge of the sick and attended to their every need, ministering to them in Christ. Those Christians were serving their fellow man, making a difference. How are we going to make a difference in a pagan, pagan America? It's... It's not by ignoring, sticking our head in the sand and ignoring what's going on in our world. It's not by getting a bunch of picket signs and shouting, we hate you and we hate this. It's not by trying to imitate our culture and just kind of slide in with the rest of the culture. The culture will ignore us. No, it's believing that Jesus Christ can transform culture. And how does Jesus transform culture? How does God work in the world today? It's through people like you and me. That's how God works. It's for people just like you and me who decide that we want to work. You know, I talked about all the great things that our church is doing. Okay, not to toot our horn, just telling you what it is. And that's all wonderful and great. And some of you, if you've been helping with some of those things, if you've been helping out with the food, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, it's so awesome to go out there and we have such a great team of volunteers. But more than that, we need you. We need you. If we're going to see Christ transform our culture, our pagan, pagan culture, it means Christians like you and me just doing small things in the name of Christ. It's, it's, it's being willing to be interrupted. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan, right? The guy got beat up, the priest, he just tells the story, the priest, the Levite, they go by, do nothing. But it was the Good Samaritan. What did he do? He was willing to be interrupted. He stopped, he helped the guy, he, he poured oil on his wound, he put him up on his donkey, he, he took him to the inn, said, listen, whatever it costs, I'll take care of it. I preached a whole series of that. Remember, I said the series was get off your donkey and do something. That was a whole series. Willing to be interrupted. I know it sounds so easy, but it is so hard. It's so, I, believe me, it is so hard for me. I get so focused on what I'm doing and I forget half the time and you just rush on by. We need to be looking around for the people around us who are hurting and troubled. And be kind. Can't we be kind to the checkout lady at Walmart? Can't we be kind to the Amazon driver that comes and say, listen, man, thanks. I'll be drive safe. I'll be praying for you. And then really actually pray for them. Couldn't we do that? It's not hard. This, this past Friday was, uh, Carla, my 33rd anniversary. And we met some friends at Tia Halita. Nothing says happy anniversary than refried beans. And so... We went to Tia Halita for, for dinner to meet our friends. And they, they got there before they, we were, and we could see them when we walked in the door. 
And so we were walking to get to their place, and as we were walking by, I overheard a conversation this elderly man was having with the, the hostess. He was telling how, how he had been able to get a vaccination, and he'd put his name in a couple different places, and nobody was, was returning his calls, and he was just really upset about it. And I heard this conversation as I'm walking to my seat, and I, and I just stopped, and this is not, again, I'm preaching it, but it's not really my character. I just go, and I don't pay attention, and Carla will tell you that a hundred times. But I heard that guy say that, and I stopped, and I was wearing a jacket. I never wear a jacket like this, going to Tijolita, for crying out loud. I never wear a jacket like this, but I had on a jacket. And in my jacket, I always have in my coat jackets, I always have business card, and I stopped, and I said, Excuse me, sir, I, heard you over, I overheard you talking about you can't get a vaccination and, and you really want one. Listen, here's my card. We do vaccinations at our church every Wednesday. I said, you, can, you, can, maybe, you call Monday and maybe we can get you in Wednesday, but not this Wednesday, next Wednesday. Here's the number, you can call. This guy goes, are you serious? I said, yeah, 100% serious. Call the church Monday, we'll get you in. I said, we're the church, we're here to help. That's all. I don't know his name. I don't know anything, but I know that we are called to make a difference. We're called to be servants. Imagine this. Okay, we got to go. Imagine this. You think, Pastor, what is my little helping going to do? What is my being kind to the checkout person? What is my, my being kind to this person, being, talking to my neighbor? What's that going to do in the whole scheme of things? Our world is pagan, pagan, pagan. How is my talking to my neighbor going to make any difference in the world? Okay. Last Sunday, there were 600 people in the building in our church and another 1,100, 1,200 people online. So let's just say, for argument's sake, there were 1,750 people that were participating in this service or the early service. 1,750 people. Now, if 1,750 people did four, just four kind acts, reaching out to their neighbor, being kind to the person at the checkout, being nice to this or that, four in a week, four, you could do that. You could be interrupted four times in your whole week, couldn't you? Four times, one week, 1,750 people did that. You know how many times that is? That's 7,000. Now let's say you did that every week for the entire year. I'll even give you two weeks off because you're cranky those weeks or you're sick or you're on vacation or whatever and you just, you know, don't feel like being nice. So let's say you do that for 50 weeks out of the year. Four interruptions a week, 50 weeks out of the year. The total from our church, our church alone, 350,000 times. You think that God couldn't transform a county at 350,000 times? People are making intersections and being willing to be interrupted and loving their neighbor and caring for them and serving them. You don't think God could make a difference there? And what if Christians all across this country what if they said, said, you know what, instead of ignoring what's going on in the culture, instead of protesting what's going on in the culture, instead of, instead of uh, just trying to assimilate and imitate in the culture, we said, no, we want Jesus to transform the culture. and We're going to start being kind and we're going to serve. We're going to be known not by what we're against, but what we're for. And we're going to be loving our neighbors. Don't you think that that would make a difference? I think it would. We're talking about being a servant today. Just serving and being like Jesus.